Yo, what's up, guys? We're back after another successful week last week. We hit again on the parlay of the week. We've uh, hit eight weeks in a row there, so hopefully we can continue that trend, uh, continue the play of the week trend here on this week. This is a pretty good card for UFC 252, so just make sure to, uh, before this video, when you're listening right now, make sure to drop a like. Put down in the comments, you know, who you're betting on. Um, you know, what your most confident picks are, things like that. I'll make sure to get back to you. And yeah, thanks for always supporting the channel. And we're just going to continue to grow here, continue to give you these good picks. And yeah, so we're going to get right into it. The first pick of the night is uh, Christopher Dawkins taking on Parker Porter. This is going to be two debutants here, two kind of sloppy heavyweights. Chris Dawkins, he is the older brother of Kyle Dawkins and looking to be the first Dawkins to win a UFC fight. He's. Definitely not as good as his brother. He's more of a striker. Fast hands for a heavyweight. Good feints. Pretty good movement. Good jabs. Good one-two. Tricky high kick as well. He'll get fighters against the fence where, you know, he has good flurries, good power. He's definitely going to have the power edge in this fight. And in the first round, he's a dangerous guy. But after that, he does tend to really not have a good cardio. Seven of his eight wins have came by TKO. And in his first fight, uh, or in his fight with UFC veteran Zhu and Yanwu, he actually did quite well in that fight. He hurt Zhu multiple times. He dropped him. He did win the first round. And in round two, he was a lot more tired, but he was still winning the fight. He just got caught with the right hand. He got taken out. In exchanges, Dawkins can just be a little bit hittable. He has been finished by strikes two times in his career. And he doesn't fight anything like his brother. I mean, he's more like a striker. He does push guys against the cage, look for some trips at times. He did drop in Yanwu with the knee in the clinch. He doesn't really go for takedowns much, though. I am not really sure how he is on top or on bottom. He was submitted by Sean Teed in 2015. His opponent, Parker Porter, he's not really a great wrestler. I kind of anticipate this fight being on the feet. If Porter can get on top of Dawkins with time to work, it could be trouble for Dawkins, though. Dawkins is very tough. He's a full-time cop. He's strong mentally. His cardio isn't the best, but he's still dangerous. And Parker Porter, he's making his debut at an older age here. He's already 35 years old, but he should be on a five-fight win streak. His one loss was a DQ loss. He's... A heavyweight so it's not as big of a deal he has been a pro since 2007 he hasn't been very active and i'm really not very impressed with what i've seen from him on the feet primarily a boxer he will mix in some low kicks in there but really likes to throw the hands he has a decent jab he'll double jab his way in a range throw a double jab overhand right a lot he gets overhand right happy in fights really throws that shut a lot and you'll kind of wing it from the hip and slap it. It doesn't really look very technical or like it has much power. And uh, he will try to get inside, you know, slip and return. He landed a left hook on the chin of his last opponent and knocked him out. But he can be very low volume. He doesn't do much for long periods in fights. I mean, he just kind of hangs around in there. He isn't the best athlete. He's there to be hit. He has been finished by strikes twice in his career. He does have three knockouts himself. And... He is a brown butt in jiu-jitsu. He's heavy on top. He has some nice knees in the clinch. He gets all of his takedowns from the clinch. He really isn't a big seeker of the takedown. He isn't an explosive athlete, so he isn't going to be shooting blast doubles. It's hard for him to close the distance, so he tends to get it to the map by reversing his opponent's takedowns. Or, you know, he does have a good takedown defense. He'll reverse if you, like I said, if you go for a takedown, you reverse, get on top, but... When he does get on top, he's slow, he's deliberate, he's methodical. He likes to slowly work, advance positions, soften guys up, and find the submission ultimately. 
His ground and pound isn't very dangerous, but he does have a sub game. He'll attack, you know, um, arm triangles. He'll work for Kimura's, Anacondas, good back takes. He has uh, been submitted a couple times early in his career, and he doesn't really look like he's in the best shape, but he's going to be the guy with the better cardio here that's going to be fresher in the third round. Both these guys are middling, low-level guys to me. Parker, he's better on the ground probably, but he has no wrestling. Dawkus looks cleaner on the feet. He looks like he hits harder. He probably will be more active going forward more. I think he's going to clip Parker Porter at some point in the first round. I just think he's a little better technically, a little more athletic, a little more power. So I'm going to go with him via first round KO, TKO. And uh, up next year, we have a really interesting fight, actually. A 145-pound fight. It's going to be TJ Brown making his second UFC start, taking on Danny Chavez. And TJ Brown, he kind of shit the bed in his UFC debut. He was en route to a dominant victory. He was really taking down Jordan Griffin, working him over on the mat. But he allowed himself to get caught in a choke. He got choked out. I'm sure that's eating at him. I'm sure he's trained really hard and tried to, you know, give himself the best chance possible to get the victory here. With the 14-7 and record, he has to avoid going 0-2 or I could easily see him getting cut. The first thing that you notice when you watch TJ Brown though is he's very aggressive, he's explosive. He comes out hot with the striking in, his grappling, switches stances, he has a good jab, he'll double triple up on it. Heavy 1-2, good hooks, he has a really nasty head kick. He's won via head kick in two of his last five fights. The problem with Brown on the feet is just super aggressive, he'll get into wars. Not very technical. He leads with the uppercuts a lot, which leaves him very susceptible to counters. He gets dropped a lot. He's not really the... He doesn't have the best chin. And he can be knocked out. Like I said, he's been knocked out uh, three times. He does have four knockouts himself. He's a dangerous striker, but he's a good grappler. That's his main thing. He's very strong. He manhandles guys. Very nice takedowns. A lot of variety. He'll... Shoot traditional shots, you know, singles, doubles, good clinch takedowns as well. Good in top position, you know, good control. Likes to kind of slow cook guys, kind of like his friend Bryce Mitchell. He'll slowly advance position, land hard elbows, punches. Very good at using front headlocks to snap opponents down, control them. He's good at wrist riding guys. And, you know, he does have a good arm triangle submission. He has good back takes. He has good ground and pound. So... He's decent on the ground, good scrambles. He, you know, if he can get in on the legs, he'll usually end up on top. He can't be taken down, though, but he will attack off his back. He has nice Kimuras. He, you know, has good get-ups as well. And he was able to really dominate his last two opponents. One, Dylan Lockhart, who's a former college wrestler, and then Jordan Griffin with grappling. But he did get a little bit sloppy, like he's been known to do, and got caught in another submission on... Um, uh, against Jordan Griffin you know he's been submitted three times now but he went unconscious you know he doesn't have quit in him he has pretty good cardio he's gonna be taking on Danny Chavez who's getting an opportunity in the UFC here. he's won three in a row he's a 10 and 3 guy overall all of his losses have came against decent competition but really hasn't faced any name guys he trains out of a good gym he's training on an MMA Masters there in Florida it's really kind of hard for me to uh pick or break down this fight I mean I was able to see a couple things from Chavez but not much I was able to find a you know quick snippet of his knockout over uh, Pipe Vargas and um, you know his last fight which was about two and a half minutes he looked like he was quick good kicks 
He has a wide Taekwondo type stance. He tries to stay long, counter with one twos. In his last fight, he was doing a great job of uh, catching his opponent as he tried to close the distance. He eventually tagged him, knocked him out. He looks fast. He looks rangy. He looks slick. He does get tagged uh, when he gets backed up a, a little bit, and he did get a little bit wild when he hurt his opponent. Got hit with a little bit of a couple unnecessary shots. But he does have three first round knockouts in a row and he's a slick counter striker. His grappling is a question mark. He is a black belt though. But no submissions in his career. I did see him dig some underhooks, work himself off the cage well in his last fight. He snuck some knees in in the clinch. And uh, I really haven't seen him face a good grappler though. That opponent looked more like a striker. Um, the way he backs himself up to the fence, I could get potentially see that giving him issues getting himself taken down that way he does have a loss via guillotine and uh, no submission victories for him but like i said he is a black belt it's hard to say um brown has the experience but honestly i think chavez on the feet is a lot slicker and i think his style is dangerous for a guy like brown who opens up i think he could counter him and smoke him and knock him out and his black belt in jiu-jitsu also kind of gives me some confidence that if he gets to the ground, maybe he could cause some issues for TJ or get a submission. So I'm actually going to take the shot here. I'm going to take Danny Chavez to get the victory. But it's it's um, you know it's a little bit hard to say. Maybe he'll get dominated here and I'll look like a, a dumb pick. But I'm going to pick Danny Chavez here. Um, next year we have uh, kind of, I don't know, I'm not really super enthralled with this fight. Verna Jandaroba taking on Felice Herrig. Verna, you know, she put her first GFC win on the border last time out. She was able to basically dominate and ultimately submit Mallory Martin on the mat. And she has to be hovering around the top 15. She's 15-1. and one. She's a former Invicta champion. Her only loss was a fairly close loss against the former UFC champion Carla Esparza. And she's going to be welcoming back Carla Esparza's friend here, Felice Herrig, to the octagon. And Jana Roba, she isn't the greatest striker. I mean, slow, a little bit stiff. She would throw a jab, left hook out there, one, two, jab, overhand, right. She throws a lot of round kicks to the body. When she throws shots, she does leave herself very open to counters. She doesn't really bring her hands back to her face fast enough. Fighters could see that and kind of just counter a slow shot. She doesn't move her head well when she gets inside. She's a plotter as well. Um, in her last, in her fight with Carla Sparza, she was getting her kicks caught, getting taken down. But she's never been finished. She has no knockouts herself. She's really a grappler. It's no secret. She wants to, you know, put opponents on their backs. She is a strong wrestler. Good timing on double legs. Good body locks. In the clinch, she's tricky. I mean, she'll hit uh, throws. She'll hit hip throws, sacrifice throws. On top, she's very good. I mean, very good guard passing. Solid game. Good half guard. She's very heavy from there. Nice short elbows. Good arm triangle. She has a good guillotine, good crucifix position, good mount. She will, uh, you know, fake like she's going for the guillotine and then move right into mount. She has, uh, you know, um, good high mount, really good control, and she'll look for armbar triangles from there. Good back take. All she needed was one back take against Mallory Martin. The fight was over shortly after on that. And um, Martin was attacking chokes instead of defending takedowns. Kind of gave Verna the fight she wanted. Janaroba, you know, much more submission over ground and pound. You know, she will soften up with some hammer fists, but really doesn't throw a lot of strikes on top. She's more of like heavy pressure, methodical passing. Once she gets to a dominant position, she usually doesn't lose that position, and she'll usually find a submission. So 
She is one of the better jiu-jitsu players in all of the divisions for women's MMA. And it's an interesting clash because when she fought Carla Esparza, she didn't seem as strong off of her back. Felice is a strong girl. And in the clinch, if she's hitting these sacrifice throws and Felice can maybe stay on top, Esparza was able to take her down and control her for some time. I mean, Jana Robo will roll for some leg locks. She will attack some arm bars. But I think Herrig will just try to keep it standing probably. But Jana Robo does have a nice half guard sweep. I mean, she does have something off of her back. She does have 12 submissions. And Felice Herrig, she's an OG of the game. She's 35 years old now, though. Coming off a torn ACL. She hasn't fought since October of 2018. So, been a long time. And she, when she did last fight, she was on a two-fight losing streak. Her striking is going to be better than Verna's. But it's not a lead or anything. She is an okay boxer, a good right hand. But she's also a little bit stiff, a little bit plodding with her footwork. She cuts the cage off pretty well. Good job of landing her punches and kind of getting out of range. And uh, nice one-two, good body kicks. Good job going over or around the guard. She, you know, will, will trade in the pocket as well. She has a good right hook, good one-two, good left hook also. She'll throw some front kicks to the body, to the head. Isn't a big kicker. She will throw some leg kicks. And she has a good chin. I mean, she's willing to eat shots to give them back. But she doesn't really react well to body shots. She can kind of duck down a little bit and when she throws and leave herself susceptible to uppercuts and knees. In her fight with Michelle Watterson, she just seemed a, a step slow trying to close the gap. She was getting hit with a lot of kicks. And Herrig will definitely have the power advantage in her hands. Probably overall striking advantage. She should kind of look to exploit that pressure, try to make it a brawl. She's never been finished by strikes, so she's shown that durability. And she only has one TKO herself, though. She is an underrated grappler. I mean, she's a purple belt. She's very physical. She will have that grappling, or she'll need to have that grappling on full display here for sure. In the clinch, Herrig, she's very strong. I mean, she'll dominate girls with big elbows, big knees, good body locks, good double leg. On top, she has good control, good passing ability, good back takes. Isn't super dangerous with submissions on top, but she does have one career rear naked choke. Herrig was taken down by Michelle Watterson in, the, in her last fight. And Watterson was able to get multiple minutes of top control. Kind of rode out the round. Herrig ended, ended the round on her back. She does have a nice arm bar. She will throw some triangles. She has three arm bars in her career. And she's never been submitted. But according to her pro record at least. But she was submitted by Random Marcos on the Ultimate Fighter. She is a veteran. She's very tough. She's determined. She has cardio. And man, I mean... I don't know. I was thinking I was going to be really high on Jane Roa pre-tape, but I'm not sure after watching. Herrig will definitely have the striking advantage. The wrestling, it's tough to say. Herrig is definitely the more physical of the two girls. And if she could stuff the takedowns of Verna and deny the clinch, she'll probably outstrike her for the win. Verna does have good timing on her takedowns, but Mallory Martin was hunting for guillotines instead of defending the takedowns. It really wasn't a good strategy. Um... And it wasn't as if one takedown and it was over for with Martin either. Martin was able to scramble back up to her feet a couple times. Um, man, I don't know. It could be a sloppy striking fight. If I was sold on Felice coming in here looking like she did a couple years ago, maybe I would just straight up pick Felice here. It's a tough fight to call. I'm going to say Verna gets it done. I think she maybe will just be able to hit a couple takedowns. Maybe you'll get the submission. But maybe it'll be a decision as well. I'm just going to pick Verna. 
But I kind of think Felice could win this fight. I don't know, but I'm going to pick Verna Jandaroba. In the next fight, we have Herbert Burns taking on Daniel Pineda. Herbert Burns, he's looking to just keep racking up the wins here. He's already had two wins under the UFC banner in 2020. Looked very good in both fights. He got two first-round finishes. And he's improving his striking. His last performance didn't really show that. But Burns likes throwing straights. He'll stay light on his feet. He bounces in and out. He's going to be the faster fighter. Good jab. He'll throw the 1-2, the straight right hand. He will occasionally throw a jab overhand right combination. He'll throw some nice leg kicks, good round kicks to the body. He'll throw front kicks to the body. He'll throw nice front kicks to the head, question mark kicks. He could throw kicks with both legs. In his fight with uh, Nate Landwehr, he landed that really nice knee. And defensively, he could be a little bit hittable. I mean, he could throw kicks without setting him up. He can get backed up to the cage. Doesn't look like he has big power in his hands. But he's improving every time out there with the striking. And uh, he does have a great chin. I've seen him eat some big shots. He's an elite jiu-jitsu guy as well. And he knows where his bread is buttered. He likes to almost immediately close the distance, try to get in the clinch, shoot in on double. He has pretty quick level changes, good double legs. And, um, you know, he'll also look for trips, foot sweeps in the clinch. In uh, Burns' last fight, he ended up taking the back from standing, quickly locked in a rear naked choke. He has no problem pulling guard either. Very comfortable on the mat. When Burns gets top position, he'll take the back. I mean, we saw that in his last fight, locking the body triangle. Great control. He'll flatten guys out, lock in those rear naked chokes. Gets a lot of submissions off his back as well. He'll go inverted. He'll attack the legs. He has great triangles, good arm bars. He can be losing the entire fight, then pull a submission out of the hat. So very dangerous guy. He has nine career submissions. And flopping to his back uh, and limited striking at times can look bad to the judges. I mean, only in two and two in decisions. But Daniel Pineda, he's going to be making his return to the UFC seven years away from the promotion. But he's been around. He's fought in Elite XC, Bellator, like I said, the UFC, LFA, PFL. I'm a bit surprised the UFC has brought him back. I mean, he did win two fights in one night in the PFL. But they were overturned in no contest due to drug test failures. He hasn't fought since then. And to Pineda's credit, he is technically 10-2 with some pretty good wins since leaving the UFC. His two losses were a split decision to Emmanuel Sanchez, a stoppage due to a cut versus Georgie Karakanyan. In his fight versus Georgie, Pineda was dominating that fight, so he really could be 10-1 as well. And Pineda is a powerhouse on the feet, big power. Um, he has really nice low kicks, very explosive guy closing that distance. Likes to kind of sit in a low stance, exploding with hooks to the body, to the head. When he backs guys up, he'll flurry with punches. He likes to, you know, come in with hooks, follow with uppercuts, hard thudding low kicks. Nice high kicks. He'll throw some spinning attacks. He can't go to the well too much with those kicks, in my opinion, the spinning kicks. And he's a wrestler at heart. He can get a little bit sloppy, look uncomfortable on the feet at times, get a little bit wide with his punches, throw spinning attacks that get him off balanced. He does have an iron chin. He's only been put down one time in over 40 pro fights. And uh, he's very dangerous in the opening round. Seven of Pineda's nine knockouts happen in round one. And he's a strong grappler, super physical. He just manhandles guys. Very good level changes, good double leg. Very good at getting the tight waist, circling to the back, jumping on it from standing. Good suplexes. Once he gets in top position, he's super aggressive. He looks to get in dominant positions, range down ground and pound. He likes to get the mount. He has good triangles that you'll set up from there. Good back takes, good rear naked chokes. 
early on, he's super hard to hold down. He's excellent at reversing position if you do take him down. He was able to stand up under Jeremy Kennedy. He was a great grinder. He ultimately caught him in a guillotine. And Pineda has multiple leg locks. He can't start to accept being on his back as the fight progresses. He'll throw spins, like I said, fall onto his back, let fighters get on top. That's how he lost to Emmanuel Sanchez. He has been submitted six times as well. Those were all in the beginning of his career, though. He hasn't been submitted since 2010. Overall, the best word to describe Pineda is he's a finisher, man. All 26 of his wins have came via finish. He has 18 career submissions. He does slow down in the third round. He's only 3-5 and five in fights that hit the third round, and he's 0-5 in decisions. In this fight, I imagine Pineda is going to want to keep it standing. He's the better athlete. He's the more powerful hitter. He's more explosive early on. Um, he needs to try to blitz Burns, get him out of there in the first round, chop the legs, back him up, put those big hooks on him. I feel as the fight goes longer, Pineda will just go back to what he knows. He'll probably get in trouble with that. He'll throw spins. He'll get put on his back. He might even try to wrestle. Herbert Burns may not be as good on the feet, but he's rangier. He's faster. He's going to want to try to pull counter, figure out how to get the fight to the mat. And once it goes to the ground, Burns is so elite, he could just finish the fight. I haven't, I have seen him taken down and controlled in decision losses by some Russians, but I'm not sure Pineda can do that. Pineda's a finisher, and if he can't finish you, he loses. I'm not sure he's going to be able to finish Burns. So I'm going to say Burns gets a second or third round submission here, and uh, the pick for me is going to be Herbert Burns. Up next year, we have a fight between two girls I kind of have a soft spot for because I've made money off both of them. Levia Gangsta Souza taking on Ashley Yoder. Levia Souza, I mean, she's making a return after a year away from the cage. She's had a lot of injuries that cost her some time. The last time we saw her, she lost the decision to Brianna Van Buren. She said she really wasn't in the best physical shape in that fight. She had an injury she was dealing with and didn't look good in that one. I hope she can get back on track because she's a rarity for a woman's straw weight. I mean, she talks the talk. She walks the walk. She's uh, the Brazilian gangster. I mean, she takes care of business in the cage, man. She's finished 10 of her 13 wins, 7 in the first round, and she's never been finished herself. And Ashley Yoder, she's getting back on the horse. She had a split decision loss to Randa Marcos. Even in a loss, I feel Yoder raised her stock in that fight. She's also looked pretty good in her last two fights in the UFC. And this is a good one. I mean, uh, I believe on the feet, Yoder, I don't know. I, I think maybe she should try to keep it standing. But when I say that, I think Levia is the better striker. Levia hits hard, man. She has good body kicks. She has good straight punches, a good jab. And when she lands clean, she could put these girls down. And we saw Yoder, her defense did not look good in her last fight versus Random Marcos. She was getting pieced up quite a bit in that fight, and Levia hits a lot harder than Randa. Um, in terms of the grappling, I feel like Levia is going to be able to get takedowns easier in this fight than she did against Brianna Van Buren. Obviously, Brianna is a good grappler in her own right, a good wrestler. Yoder notoriously has bad submission or bad uh, takedown defense. She's more of a grappler herself who likes to scramble, things like that. And I just don't think she's going to be able to come in with a game plan to control distance with the jabs, with the straights. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that she'll probably invite the grappling or she just won't be able to stop the takedowns because Levia does have a decent, you know, uh, body lock takedown. She has good timing on the double as well. And I believe that she's going to be able to maybe even get clinch takedowns so she can get a lot of different takedowns. She's very aggressive with her jujitsu as well, man. I mean, she'll jump on guillotines, jump on the back. Um, 
I kind of feel like she's going to get a submission in this fight. Yoder, she... I don't know. I think that she's going to be able to get takedowns. I don't really see a lot of pass to victory for Yoder here. I don't think Yoder's going to be able to just outstrike and keep Levia at range. I think Levia's too dogged for that. Even if they do strike on the feet, I think Levia maybe will even get the better of that. But I kind of feel like Levia is going to be able to take the back or hang on the neck, get a guillotine, get a rear naked choke in this fight. So I'm going with Levia Suja to come back in a big way, get a finish, be the first girl to finish Ashley Yoder. So I'm going with Levia Souza here. This is a good one up here. Jim Miller, Vince Bichelle. Both these guys, you know, they go in there and they go for they go down there to be kill or be killed, man. They go for war. Both these guys are fun guys to watch. It's funny, I mean, Jim Miller's the one that has the most fights in UFC history. He's the one that's been around for ages, man, over a decade. But he's actually the younger guy. Vince Bichelle is almost 38 years old. Jim Miller, he's still 36 years old, barely. He's about to turn 37 coming up next month. But we did see Jim Miller recently go in there, get a really quick submission victory over Roosevelt Roberts, and that's kind of his MO now. He goes in there. If he doesn't get that first-round finish, he tends to fade, lose the fight. He hasn't won a fight that's gone past the first round since he beat Thiago Alves at UFC 205. But obviously, you know, he still has plus skills. That straight down the middle is nasty. He can still hurt you on the feet, catch a sub. He is still game to throw down. Good timing on his takedowns. He's still a well-rounded, dangerous guy. He has confidence right now. And with a guy like Vince Bichelle, I think he's going to be the one early on at least really controlling the distance and how the fight's going to go down. Because Vince Bichelle, he is a dangerous guy himself. He kind of switch stances he'll hit that switch stance uh straights down the middle and he's he's tricky good high kicks good low kicks a lot of kicks from the outside a lot of movement and that's his game he likes to touch and move and uh you know kind of try to time these big blitz shots take you out he has decent offensive wrestling offensive grappling but his takedown defense percentage is 22 percent doesn't really have a good takedown defense um, we saw him get submitted by Gregor Gillespie, just dominated on the mat there in that fight. Jim Miller, I, I just, I think he's going to be able to exploit that. Pichelle, if he can get it out of the first round, he's going to be live because he's a dog. He's good in the clinch. He has the big cardio advantage here, and he could push. So if he could force Jim Miller to work, continue to stand up, uh, you know, outstrike him, but he just doesn't throw a lot of volume. I think he's going to allow Jim Miller to control the pace. Even if it goes three rounds, I kind of feel like Miller has the plus skill set and he'll be able to win a decision, even though he hasn't won a decision since 2016. I just feel like Miller is the better fighter all around here. He's the more dangerous fighter, more skills everywhere. So I got to go with Jim Miller all day here. My pick is going to be Jim Miller inside the distance. Up next, we have the rematch of that crazy fight with uh, Magomed Ankalaev and Iwan Kutilaba. If you remember, you know, Iwan was kind of like faking like he was out on his feet. The referee kind of uh, bought it, ended the fight, and Iwan was furious about it. And it was a quick finish for Magomed. But, I mean, they're going to run it back here. They tried to run it back a little while back, but I think it was because of COVID that they couldn't get it done. In the first fight, I mean, Inkalaev was a big favorite. He's a big favorite again here. I was really confident in Inkalaev the first time, and for some reason this time I'm just getting a weird feeling, like a just stay away from him type feeling. But I just feel like Inkalaev, like on the feet, he's a southpaw, 
really technical, really good kicks, really good combinations. I think that he's the more technical guy than Ewan on the feet. But Ewan obviously has that craziness in the first round. He has like a really fast explosiveness, nice one-two, good overhand right. And when he gets inside, you know, he'll let his combinations go, uppercuts, hooks. He'll throw some oblique kicks, low kicks, and good question mark kicks, good round kicks. I mean, he's not the most diverse striker, but he's getting a little bit better. And, um, you know, he's throwing in some spins, things like that. But he does slow down majorly. And when guys can get inside and start to walk him down after he gets a little bit more tired, very hittable. I mean, he showed that in multiple fights. His grappling is pretty good as well. I mean, we saw him take down Khalil Roundtree, dominate him on the ground like that in his last fight. Really rained down some big elbows. And he's a good Greco-Roman guy. He's a, I think he's a judo and sambo national champion as well. But he tends to get tired when he grapples, so he doesn't really like to offensively grapple. And I feel like Magomed has the better wrestling in this matchup. Maybe Iwan will be able to take him down, but I don't know if he'll be able to do much damage or hold him down. I think that... Like I said, on the feet, he's just not as technical as Magomed. Magomed is the bigger guy as well, and he's longer with the kicks. He's taller, so that gives him a big advantage. Um, I don't think that he's going to be able to surprise Iwan or Magomed with that crazy game plan he was trying to do where he was like rope-a-doping him anymore. He has to go out there and use his skills to try to win. So I just feel like uh, Ankalaev will probably be able to just outskill him and to get the victory, maybe even get another finish, or it'll be probably a finish. I mean, Kuchilaba slows down, and Kalaev will probably work him, get the finish. I could see him getting a decision as well, but I'm going to say Magomed and Kalaev gets a late-round stoppage here. And the second fight on the main card is a good one, man. We got John the Magician Dodson taking on Marab the Machine Dvalishvili. And hell of a fight, good contrast in styles. Marab, you know, he's young, he's coming up. He's running through, he's uh, trying to get, uh, I believe, five consecutive UFC wins. And Ja Donson, he got off the schneid in his last fight. He took out a prospect, kind of similar to Marab Duvalishvili. And Nathaniel Wood, he knocked him out in the third round, ended his hype. And he's going to be looking to do that again against Marab. And it's an interesting fight, obviously, because we all know what John Donson likes to do. He likes to move, 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 you know, and just try to time that straight or the overhand and knock you out and he's really good in his last fight he was he was actually blitzing in with some nice combinations really backing up nathaniel wood looked explosive again he's good at kind of catching these short little like cheeky shots and then changing and cutting an angle really quickly he's hard to corral i mean he'll cut angles from side to side good lateral movement he is a pretty good fighter i mean overall obviously his takedown defense his get up game is elite he can, um, you know, survive barrages, has a great chin. This guy's never been finished, has big knockout power. He's just a dangerous, well-rounded, all-around guy. And he's going to be looking to keep it on the feet, move angle, and just try to time that one-hitter quitter, put Marab down, or just try to keep him on the outside for three rounds, touch him up, not get hit, win a decision that way. We all know what Marab's going in there trying to do. Marab's going in there trying to work those straight punches, the overhands into the takedowns, get in that clinch, grind on you, uh, hold you against the cage. When he gets you down, he wants to just look for control. He's not really a big submission guy. Isn't really a big threat to finish with ground and pound either, but he just wears on guys when they stand up. He'll mat return them. He just will continuously get takedowns. He has already the most takedowns in 
Bantamweight history. I believe he had 12 takedowns in his last fight. So just a relentless guy, insane cardio. His striking isn't the best, but it isn't the worst because you have to respect his grappling. So he'll go in, you'll land straights right into takedowns. You'll land overhands right into takedowns. Good spins, good kicks. He's high volume. He throws heavy. He'll throw really hard shots so he can kind of, uh, you know, just keep you honest because if you do get hit with one of those, you can get dropped. Just ask Ricky Simone. So he has an interesting style. I mean, John Dodson's going to be running away trying to time that shot. He's going to be trying to cut the cage off, trying to think. I, I believe in this fight, he, he should try to start early on. Faint level changes to create openings for the takedowns. Hold him against the cage. Don't try to expend a lot of energy just taking him down over and over because if Dodson keeps popping back up, maybe he'll start to get a little bit tired. But Marab does have a really like an endless gas tank. I just feel like in this fight, John Dodson, I mean, we know what it is at this point. If he doesn't get a finish, he's going to be very low volume. So Marab, just with his style, just coming forward at all time, marauding, I think that it's going to be hard for Dodson to win a decision unless he can just drop Marab a couple times or just completely outclass him with the footwork and the boxing and the striking. But I feel like more likely, I think Marab early on is going to be able to land that straight a little bit, maybe struggle to control Dodson in that first round. But I think Dodson will slow down a little bit. I think Marab will have his periods, hold him against the cage, use his size. I think he'll start to get takedowns. Dodson will stand back up. He'll mat return him. And just win a decision. So I'm going to go with Marab Divalishvili. I believe he'll win a decision in this fight. I do believe that it should be lined a little bit closer. Um, but I'm going to go with Marab here. Man, another fun one here. Another uh, heavyweight fight. Junior Dos Santos taking on Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Biggie boy. Interesting, interesting fight here, man. I mean, both guys that you have to wonder if they're damaged goods. I mean, JDS, two TKOs in a row. He's obviously been the guy that's taken way more damage than Jarzinho, but Jarzinho is coming back pretty quickly. I mean, six, seven weeks after he got... <laughs> George Masvidal likes to baptize people. He got baptized at the hands of Francis. I mean, that was a devastating knockout. Um, so who knows how either of these guys' chins are going to react here. It's... It's an interesting fight, I believe. I, I mean, Junior has been struggling with these more explosive guys recently. He's been losing to these guys. His last fight, I mean, he got knocked out pretty badly by a wrestler. That wasn't a good look. I mean, he was showing very good takedown defense. In this fight, it's going to be a striking fight. I mean, Junior has that black belt. He has the wrestling. And when he was fighting Francis Ngannou, I believe I was talking about that a little bit, saying maybe he would grapple him. But... Never has done that, man. I don't think he's going to go in there with the grappling game plan and take down Jarzinho. I mean, I would be surprised. I think they're going to strike. And Jarzinho, I mean, he's going to be the the slicker, faster guy with more power, in my opinion. I mean, Junior Dos Santos, he probably has the better overall boxing. But he, he has good movement. And, I mean, sometimes he'll fight discipline behind the jab with his kicks. He can... Uh, stick and move and that's what he kind of needs to do here but he likes to brawl man and he likes to get inside and box and Jarzinho is a wicked counter puncher and he really throws nice hard low kicks as well Jarzinho this is a hard fight for me to call I don't have a good read on this fight so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it really um Man, I mean, I, I want to pick Junior Sagano, but I, I just think Jarzinho is going to is gonna catch him, man. I think he's going to touch him and, and finish him. So, 
I, I'm going to pick Jorginho Rosenstruck by knockout, but I, I don't have a good read on this fight. Tell me in the comments, what do you guys think? You guys think Jar, uh, Jorginho will get the win, or you think Junior is a little bit too much for him? I, I mean, I know he struggled versus Alistair Overeem, but I mean, Overeem knocked out Junior, and Overeem has a much different game. He's economical, he's on the outside, he's picking at you. He was able to implant some grappling as well. Junior, more of a brawler, man. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to translate. So I'm going to say Jarzinho goes in there and gets the knockout. Man, up next we have an awesome fight. Co-main event, Sugar Sean O'Malley is obviously getting fast-tracked here, trying to get the victory over Marlon Cheeto Vera. If he can get this win over Cheeto, I mean, it's the sky's the limit for him. He'll probably get a top-10 opponent. He'll be thrust right into that title talk. And Cheeto Vera as well, man. I mean, this is a huge opportunity for him. He did that, suffer that loss to Song Yudong. It was controversial. It looks like the UFC is kind of acting like he got the win because they're giving a co-main event slot on a pay-per-view, trying giving him a big opportunity here to take a lot of hype away from Sean O'Malley. But I believe also that has a lot to do with Sean O'Malley wanting Cheeto. I mean, they've tried to set up this fight previously a few times. So maybe just the UFC and Sean think they can beat Cheeto. So that's why they're doing this matchup. But... Man, I don't know about that. This is a hell of a fight. I mean, obviously, you could bet, almost guarantee Sean O'Malley's going to win the first round, right? Sean O'Malley in the first round, really good lateral movement. He cuts angles. He'll go side to side. You don't know which way he's going to circle. He, he'll land and angle off. Really nice front kick, side kicks. He, he'll come forward with really dangerous blitzes spinning attacks he's really good at like when you try to head off his lead lead foot he'll throw a spinning attack hit you right like in the body or in the chin and he'll set you up for some straight punches for some body attacks he's a, he's a good fighter man i mean his striking is really technical he with those those drive-by straight punches but he still doesn't really throw a lot in combination doesn't like being in the pocket he likes to kind of stick and move he does have that one-shot power, but he's facing a guy in Marlon Cheeto Vera who's never been finished, who's been in there with guys like Song Yadong, like John Lineker, ate their shots. I mean, he was beating John Lineker in the third round after he ate all his punches. That's that's something that, you know, you have to take into account, man. I mean, John Lineker is a heavy-handed dude, and if you could eat his shots, be winning in the third round, that shows a lot about you for sure. And Cheeto Vera, I mean, it's going to be the battle of if Sean O'Malley going to be able to keep that range, throw those kicks, throw those straight punches down the middle, cut the angles, and uh, is he going to just finesse Cheeto or knock him out in that first round? Or is Cheeto's pressure, his forward pressure, his, his good boxing, his kicks up the middle, his I think his clinch game is going to be a big factor if he wins this fight. I noticed against Terion Ware, Sean O'Malley looked a little bit weak with the Muay Thai clinch defense. I mean, Marlon Vera is super dangerous and a bad motherfucker in that clinch, man. I mean, if he can get in there, start throwing those elbows, those knees, I could see Sean O'Malley maybe starting to look for a way out here. And Sean O'Malley, I mean, he hasn't been out of the first round in a long time, man. Three years. He really is very explosive in that first round. Throws a lot of big actions. And if he can't get... Cheeto out of there, man. I mean, that second and that third round is going to be a motherfucker. I mean, Cheeto's going to be coming forward. He's going to be backing him up. I think when he cuts the cage off, when they exchange, I think Cheeto's going to be the better guy on the inside. Obviously, Cheeto is going to be better on the ground, and he looks for those arm triangle 
arm triangle setups from standing. He's really good at, you know, getting clinch takedowns, good timing on doubles, dangerous black belt. If Sean O'Malley's tired and it goes to the ground, I could see him making a mistake and it could be curtains. I'm kind of leaning towards uh, Marlon Chito Vera here. I mean, I just haven't seen Sean O'Malley in that in that second and that third round. I haven't seen him tested against a guy like Cheeto who has an iron chin. So he's probably not going to get him out of there early on. If he gets him out in the first round, then that's his big path to victory. I mean, a first-round knockout for Sean O'Malley, I mean, it's very possible. But if Cheeto gets in that second round, that third round, he starts backing him up. He's getting him against the cage. He's throwing those tie plumb knees. He's throwing those elbows. He's coming up with the uppercuts, the dirty boxing, maybe even getting it to the ground. Who knows what will happen? Who knows how Sean will react? Who knows how his cardio will stay? I know how Marlon Chido Vera's cardio will stay. I know how Marlon does in those later rounds. He turns up and he goes for it. He's a warrior. So, man, this is an opportunity of a lifetime for Chido Vera. I think he's going to take it, man. I'm going to go Chido Vera to go out there and get a second or third round TKO or submission victory over Sean O'Malley. Oh, man, here we go, baby. We got the main event. We got the big one. DC taking on Stipe Miocic. Three. They've already fought twice. I mean, we all know the deal. DC knocked him out real quick in the first fight. Second fight, DC had a lot of success. Started to get tired. Stipe started going to that body. Eventually took him out to the head. Knocked him out in that fourth round. So this is going to settle all the marbles. Hell of a fight, man. I mean... Both these guys haven't fought since the last fight, but it was a war. They took a lot of damage, so maybe it's good they've taken this long layoff. DC's already stated, you know, this is going to be his last fight. He's going for it. If he wins, he's going to retire the heavyweight champion. So that's a ton of motivation for him. I mean, this is going to be the last time he laces up the gloves. This is going to be the last time he goes in that octagon and puts it all out there. So I'm sure he's going to want to have a great showing for himself. Him and Stipe just don't really like each other either. So neither of these guys wants to be the loser in the trilogy. And um, man, I mean, both those first two fights have been awesome fights. I mean, DC, you know what his game plan is in these fights. He wants to close the distance, hand fight, use that to land the jab, the hooks, the straight rights. He, uh, you know, he was using the jab to get inside pretty well, using that left hook really well in his last fight. He was consistent, consistently landing that left hook. He wants to, you know, grab the single collar punch when he's inside. He's very good at digging and unhook, throwing short shots. He was throwing more low kicks on the outside in the second fight as well. And he did get that big high crotch dump in the first round, dominated on top. He didn't really do a, a ton of damage to Stipe. He, he did get some big ground and pound off, but Stipe was kind of able to neutralize him a little bit. But Stipe couldn't get back up to his feet. And I do agree with Daniel with the sentiment here in the small cage. I mean, if he can get that cardio up, which I believe was an issue for him in his last fight, he he should wrestle more. He should create more exchanges, more grappling exchanges, because that's only good for him. I mean, it'll zap Stipe's energy. He'll likely be able to win more of those than he loses. And he'll probably be able to get some takedowns, some control time. So that's obviously going to be smart for DC to do more of. But DC, I mean, he showed that he's he's probably the better striker in the matchup. I mean, he has faster hands on the inside. When he was fresh, he was really piecing up Stipe, landing big shots. And he didn't really respect him. I mean, he was coming in with his hands down. He was um, just allowing himself to get hit with unnecessary shots. And he was eating a lot of them. I mean, he had a lot of big shots from Stipe, big uppercuts, big hooks. And they didn't really phase him early on. I mean, he definitely has a great chin, obviously. 
and it, it was more about just as gas tank started going a little bit he wasn't pressuring as much and when Stipe went forward he had a way more success when he was going forward he was finding way more openings for his one twos for his hooks he was landing big shots he was stunning DC I mean it looked like Stipe or DC was way faster he did the more damage because he landed more shots but when Stipe landed on DC you could see it impacted DC so Stipe has the hammers in his hands you know the lunch boxes and DC has big power also I mean don't get it twisted but it seemed like Stipe was maybe taking DC shots in the second fight a little bit better obviously both these guys showed they could knock each other out Stipe in this fight man he needs to throw more combinations and not headhunt so much you know attack the body earlier throw longer combos not try to get backed up as much and when dc hand fights like that rip the body man rip combos really make him pay for that you can't let him hand fight and throw hooks over the top short shots you can't let him get in that single collar and get shots off get inside you have to make him pay for that so that's what d stipe has to do stipe is coming in here real light it looks like like he did for his last fight dc looks like he's coming back in a little bit heavier like he did for the first one so it's going to be interesting. You know, I do believe once again the fight favors Stipe as the fight goes on. But I feel like DC, with this being his last fight, he's going to take out all the stops here, man. I think he's going to really work hard on that cardio. He doesn't want to gas out two times in a row or lose because of that. That would be a, you know, that would be a kick in the gut, man, to lose your retirement fight because you don't have the cardio. So I think that he's going to be able to keep that cardio more in this fight. Maybe. Like I said, use the grappling so he can rest on top or in the clinch a little bit. Not keep such a high striking pace because he was out striking Stipe in that second fight pretty easily. Really landed a huge amount of strikes, which I think that if he lowered the volume a little bit but still kept that forward pressure and implemented a little bit more grappling, maybe he wouldn't get so tired. Stipe, he needs to try to push a pace, stand his ground more, go forward more, attack the body, throw more volume, throw more combinations. But I kind of feel like DC is going to do it, man. I think DC wants this. I think that for his retirement fight, he's going to be in there in, in the best cardiovascular shape he can be. I just think he's a little bit better everywhere than Stipe. And I think he's going to show that here. So I think DC is going to be able to go in there, reclaim his title, retire as the champ, and retire as one of the all-time greats. So I'm going with Daniel Cormier to get it done in that one. And so there you have it, guys. UFC 252 should be an awesome card. Thanks for hanging with me this whole time. Uh, please make sure to drop a comment, drop a like. It, it helps me. It helps the channel. If you want to donate, there's PayPal Cash App in the description. It's always very helpful as well. For the parlay of the week this week, it's going to be Herbert Burns and Levia Souza. I, I, that, that should be a good parlay. I, I don't really like a lot of fights on this card in terms of betting, but you know it, it, should be, it should be a good one. It should be an awesome fight card. There's a lot of notable names, a lot of great matchups. Can't miss this one, man. I mean, DC Stipe 3, DC's last fight. What can get better than that? I'm a big DC fan. Hope he ends out there, ends it on top. So thanks for watching, guys, and uh, thanks for always supporting the channel. I'll talk to you guys later.